Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Je suis venu vous parler das ist ein guter Tag für Deutschland und es ist ein guter Tag für Europa. Brexit means Brexit. Du lytter til Parlamentet, Altingets podcast om Europa, sponsoreret af 3F. Nu har jeg indtaget dit podcast-feed her i løbet af sommeren. Jeg hedder Henrik Axel Bugter, og jeg skal lige præsentere jer for den her udgave af sommerepisoden fra parlamentet. Den her gang så handler det om Brexit, for hvad er det, de danske virksomheder er nervøse for, når Brexit efter planen engang rammer? Og hvad betyder det for deres omsætning, for jobs og for livet som europæer helt generelt? Det var noget af det, som der blev talt om, da Thomas Lauritsen var moderator på et arrangement ved årets folkemøde, som Europaparlamentet havde stablet på benene. Til at besvare de mange Spørgsmål, så var der en mand proppet med britisk charme på besøg. Det var den veltalende britiske ambassadør i Danmark, Dominic Schroeder. Han svarede godt og lunt fra sig, da de tre danskere stod klar med spørgsmålene. Det var direktøren fra Danske Rædderier, næstformanden i 3F og EU-chefen i Dansk Erhverv. Og så var der også besøg af to danske MEP'er, Pernille Weiss fra Konservativ og Jeppe Kofod fra Socialdemokratiet. Du kan høre deres spørgsmålene og svarene fra Schroeder her. Jeg skal lige sige, at optagelsen blev lavet, inden vi vidste, hvem der var den nye leder af The Conservatives i Storbritannien, så det er derfor, der bliver talt lidt generelle vendinger om den del. Men god fornøjelse med den her optagelse fra Folkemad. Parlamentet er sponsoreret af 3F, fordi Danmark fortjener færre journalistik om EU. Men vi starter med en lille diskussion om Brexit, hvor vi som sagt har den ære at have besøg af Storbritanniens ambassadør i Danmark, Dominic Schroeder. Velkommen. Skal vi ikke lige give ham en hånd? Ja. Godt. Mit navn er Thomas Larsen. Jeg har været over 20 år i Bruxelles som journalist og analytiker. I øjeblikket arbejder jeg for altingen. Jeg har gjort det et par år nu og laver blandt andet en ugentlig podcast om eu for dem. Um, I'll introduce the rest of our panel in just one second. I'll switch to English now for the benefit of, of you, Dominic. You do actually speak a bit of Danish, don't you? <laughs> yes, you do. I know you do. Say something. Mange <laughs> 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 tak. <laughs> all right. But it wouldn't be fair to do all this in Danish. Sterinlys. <laughs> Sterinlys. <laughs> That's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah. Doppeldeckerbus. Doppeldeckerbus. Yeah. It's also a good word. It's yeah. too much Sterinlys in Denmark, <laughs> but uh, no, no. There's too many of them. <laughs> Almost exactly three years ago, 52% of the Brits voted to leave the EU. But how? And when? That turned out to be a quite difficult couple of questions. Uh, the deal uh, for how to make the withdrawal of the European of uh, UK from the European Union is stuck in the UK Parliament. Um, 
the whole process has been delayed uh, so much that the UK had to uh, participate in the recent European elections, to everybody's surprise, uh, prize, my own included. Uh, Theresa May, the Prime Minister, has now resigned. We don't really know who will be the new PM. Maybe you can tell us that, Dominic. Do you know that? No. <laughs> There's a new deadline for Brexit now, October 31st. Will the UK be in or out by that day? Will there be a deal or not? And most of all, what does it mean for the rest of us? Because, of course, this is very important for all Britain's neighbours uh, and for the whole uh, European Union. So to discuss this, we invited Ambassador Schroeder and this wonderful panel of very clever and interesting Danish people representing both the political world and different parts of, of Danish uh, work life and, and society. Uh, Anna Stephenson in the middle here, thank CEO you. of Danish Shipping, Danske Rederier. Yes, thank you. Uh, Lasse Hamilton Heidemann, EU Director of the Danish Chamber of Commerce, Danske Erhverv, over thank here. You. My friend Tina Christensen, Vice President of 3F, the largest trade union in Denmark. And then, of course, and I'm so glad you could make it, Pernille <laughs> Weiss, newly elected Conservative member of the European Parliament. And I'm very happy you came now, Pernille, because I know you actually have to leave a bit early also. So in a few minutes, we'll change you in your place with Jeppe Kofot, the Social Democrats. And so to be able to hear you before you have to run, I'll start with you and uh, ask you, what is your main concern as a newly elected Danish European Parliament member uh, about Brexit for your country? And is there a question you would particularly like to put to Ambassador Schroeder? Sorry again for coming in as the last one mm -hmm. and then also running again as the first one, but that's how it is. Uh, thank you for taking up this uh, very uh, delicate, complex uh, question right now. Uh, and has been for uh, several months and also years. But now you're really at a crucial time of mm, people asking themselves, will this keep on going? Uh, will there ever be an end, uh, a solution? And I guess uh, asking the uh, British ambassador a question that you can actually answer uh, in respect for uh, who <laughs> be nice. uh, the, the mandate that you carry, because there could be a lot of things we could discuss over a cup of coffee or tea or maybe also red wine. Um, I would like on behalf of a lot of Europeans living and working uh, in UK, what is your uh, answer to their concerns about when will this stop and uh, what can we do wisely uh, while we are waiting? Because that's, uh, I think, is a shared question for a lot of Europeans right now. Mm. Uh, the other question that I will not uh, question Dominic, but what I uh, work with now in the EPP family group, where I am now linked up uh, as a parliamentarian, is... Which is the bit, big Christian the conservative biggest, yes, group. Yes, thank you for saying that, biggest Thomas. Group in the European <laughs> is that how can we, in the EU uh, 27... How can we still uh, learn from the process that the UK is going through? Mm. Because uh, we had, I, I think we, I can, uh, I am allowed to say that, Dominic, that we had a little uh, informal uh, talk yesterday. And since you are half uh, a German, I, I asked you if you knew about um, Otto Schama and the U-turn theory. And seen from my uh, point of view, UK are still in the left leg 
in the process uh, and not yet have reached the point of no return where they know exactly where will they be in the future and how will they get there. Mm. And what is important for me as a Dane and a, as an European is that how can we EU27 nurture this process Mm. without being too hasty and uh, without being too neglective. Yeah. But that's so not the question to this what's panel. What's your question for the ambassador? Then? That is, citizens from Europe working, living in UK, what is the, the answers to their practical questions about can we raise our children for the next term uh, in the schools in the UK? Uh, what can we do with uh, uh, our uh, customers, with our enterprises, and was our cooperation in the practical world of we have to keep the engine uh, running? Mm. Ambassador? Pandilla, thank you for the question. Um, uh, congratulations on your election. You have perfected uh, the art of uh, asking a very, very long question and answering it in the same, uh, in the same, in the same phraseology. Uh, but joking and teasing aside, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, look, um, in, 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 in the context of your question, I think one of the most difficult things in what is, after all, a relatively fluid situation, as I describe mm. it, is the uncertainty. And the uncertainty is uncertainty, as you suggest, for citizens, whether they be EU citizens living in the United Kingdom, or indeed, and it's of huge importance to me personally, uh, UK citizens living in the rest of the EU. Where do we go? What rights do they have? What mm. rights do, as you say, their children have to go to school or to universities, etc., etc., etc.? And the same applies for business. You mm. know, it's uncertainty. My own view and expectation, quite frankly, but it's frankly also impossible for me to guarantee because this is part of a negotiation, is, and you know, you may allow yourself a little wry smile, is that it will be okay. And the reason it will be okay is because, think about it like this, if your starting point was that you had a European Union of 27 member states, and 30 kilometers off your western seaboard, you had a country of 65 million people, the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world, based on the rule of law, an open economy, a trading economy, culturally sensitive to the rest of Europe, especially countries like Denmark, um, security provider of a massive uh, sort, both within NATO and the EU, you would want to have the closest possible relations uh, with that country. And there is no really good reason, no good reason at all, why that relationship going forward shouldn't be as close as possible. And that that relationship should include children going to school, students going to universities. We benefit enormously from that. It would be a great loss to us if that didn't happen. Businesses doing the same. Um, Denmark is the 15th largest source of foreign direct investment in the UK economy. We do £20 billion uh, pounds worth of bilateral trade a year, more or less. We don't want to lose that. Denmark doesn't want to lose that. Nobody wants to lose that. The question, and it's a hugely complex question, both in terms of technicalities but also politics, is, of course, how we get to that end state alongside us withdrawing from the European Union. So there are two questions here. One is, is it going to be all right? The answer is mm. fundamentally yes. The qu second question is, how do we get to that stage of all right? And that I'm slightly less sure about. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not alone. <laughs> Thanks. I'll quickly involve uh, the rest of our panel here, um, because there are many areas 
where uh, our waiting period, our limbo period here, waiting for what's going to happen with Britain. Many areas of, of commerce uh, that are affected by this. I'll start by asking you, and Stephenson, mm -hmm. um, of course, the, the Danish uh, economy uh, has a very big need for the sector you work in, the shipping sector, and there's a very close tie uh, historically with Britain here. Yeah. Um, if, if there was one worry you were particularly to mention now to Ambassador Schroeder, what would that be? My biggest worry is, and I have to say that the UK is an important market for us. Um, we are uh, both having normal um, liner services, containers, but also all kinds of uh, other shipping segments. But we also have a lot of activity on the British shelf in the offshore sector. And one of the concerns that we have is that will whatever the deal is going to be or the no deal is going to look like, whatever it is, and uh, I agree with, uh, with uh, Dominic that it's, uh, it's uncertain what is going to happen, but our biggest concern is, will there be equal access also continuously from that date uh, for, uh, for example, Danish offshore suppliers to the uh, different uh, contracts you can get on the British market? How will that play out? And uh, I would love to hear if, if Dominic could say a little bit about how do you see the pressure coming on uh, from, uh, from the UK people on decision makers in terms of protecting British mm. jobs, British contracts and so on? Can you hold the thought one second? We'll just say goodbye and thank you very much to uh, Pernille Weiss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do, you do you want to add something before you leave? Uh, no, just thank you for inviting me and have a wonderful discussion after I have gone. I know you are in the best hands of... Uh, you and uh, the other participants, and of course, my dear colleague, Jebe. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Benili. <laughs> Welcome to Jebe Kofo, uh, the leader of this Danish Social Democrat delegation in the European Parliament. I'll ask you a question in a second, but let's hear your answer to uh, Anna Stephenson's question first. It is quite interesting, you know, Thomas, because you have interviewed me on a number of occasions, and it's mm. damn sight easier being interviewed by one person than the people sort of just coming <laughs> up know, in rows and, and asking me questions. Nobody said this was going yeah, to be easy. No, um, I've been doing it for three years. <laughs> I've, I've got used to it. We, we, Anna, we can't give that certainty at uh, the moment. But again, in a way, it's a variation on the theme that I have already uh, talked about. If you look into the future, if you look at what it is that is important for the United Kingdom, for Denmark, for the EU, for the rest of the world, for the democratic world, it is that the rules-based system, the values-based societies that we have, that have provided us with prosperity and security, frankly, for the period at least since the end of the Second World War, is being challenged. And it's being challenged through the actions of state actors, non-state actors, from pressures like migration, climate change, etc., etc. It's also being challenged, but there are enormous opportunities by issues such as the way in which we have connectivity, digitalization, artificial intelligence, the way in which we handle and use data. And the only way in which we can address those issues positively, but also in a way which protects those values and that rules-based international system which underpins that, is by acting together. So the idea implicit in the question that in some way 
we will have some regulatory, and I know you didn't go quite as far as this, Anna, no, but no, no. Um, a regulatory, <laughs> regulatory rush to the bottom has become the Singapore of Europe, as some people have said. Singapore on Thames. It's some yeah. Singapore on Thames, but it's just not, it's not realistic. We, for example, work on the basis and are successful on the basis of working together, having a rules-based system, having a regulatory framework which is strong. The reason that the City of London is so strong in financial services, yes, it's the time zone, yes, it's the language, but it's also because people recognise that their products and their services and ultimately their money is safe in that rules-based system. And that is something that we will continue to offer and something that we will continue to operate on the basis on. Mm -hmm. So there's not going to be a race to the bottom and Britain is not going to go all protectionist on us. No, and, um, you know, never say never, but there is absolutely <laughs> no good reason why that should happen. Because mm. I think that it is in everybody's interest, and I come back to the point that I made in response to Penelope's question, it is in everybody's interest that we should have as good a deal as possible. And that's what we've been working to. We haven't succeeded in getting there for a number of reasons, which we can go into in due course if you want. But the reality is that no deal, which is the alternative is in nobody's interest, is in absolutely nobody's interest. And it's not just, if I may, sorry, Thomas, just uh, on this point, people say no deal is going to be a big problem because it's going to be a sudden shock. That is true. Of course it's going to be a sudden shock to all of us. But one of the consequences of having a no deal Brexit, in the event that we have one, which we don't want, is that we will start, in effect, from ground zero. So every single part of the relationship between the EU at 27 and the UK will have to start to be negotiated from that point. And that is technically complex, and it's also politically highly charged, because it would be against the background of us having left in circumstances which, mm. frankly, nobody wanted. And I don't think anybody wants either of those scenarios, either that short-term and immediate shock to systems and economies, nor get into a negotiation which starts from a blank piece of paper. Okay. Uh, Lazard, that makes me uh, uh, want to ask you, uh, as a representative of Danish commerce, uh, is it the same general worry we see in, in Danish companies, the same one as Anne was talking about? Uh, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, mean, uh, I think the best way to understand the concept is a, basically a trade deal in reverse. So we had all these integration, we spent 25 years trying to build, and now it basically goes away to some extent. We are trying to turn down things. This mm -hmm. complicates our trading relationship, and it gonna, it's going to be more costly. We're going to lose. Mm -hmm. uh, Danish business is going to lose. British business is going to lose. So I agree entirely with Dominique that uh, obviously the place that we want to come to is as close a cooperation as we possibly can get. Mm. Um, and how to get there becomes, I must say, increasingly unclear with mm. uh, the way that the parliamentary situation is looking uh, right now. Uh. So um, I guess uh, a, a, a question would be, how do you see the perspective for trying to change or trying to do something differently in terms of the Brexit mm. negotiations? Because what we have so far seen appears to me, but um, maybe you would comment on that, that um, there has been an underestimation of how uh, the cohesion in the European bloc and mm. com com kept on coming back with things that the bloc already has said it will not ah. adhere to. Um, are we interesting when you hear Boris Johnson, Dominic Raab, Samuel Samengov, Jeremy Hunt, who are up to uh, stands to become one of the prime ministers soon? Uh, it does not appear that they have new answers either. Mm. So uh, even though hope springs eternal and dies last, it would be nice if there would be some obvious mm. way to mm. to move forward. Before you react to that, uh, Ambassador, I'll just give the word. I'll get back to you in a second, Yebe. I'm sorry. 
keep you waiting, uh, to you, Tina, uh, because I think it's important in this context to also put into words that this is not just about big companies uh, and big profits mm -hmm. and people being frustrated that they might not be able to make as much money next year as they did this year. It, this is about ordinary people and their jobs. Uh, and many of your members, I know, Tina, uh, are worried also about this. Can you maybe put that into a few words for us? Of course, and mm. thank you for inviting mm. me. It's lovely to, for my members to have a, a voice here uh, at your arrangement. Because you're right, I have a lot of concerned members, and I'm concerned on their behalf. So let me start by saying I think that uh, I usually go around saying uh, I like a win-win situation. <laughs> this is not a win-win situation. This is a lose lose situation, that's for sure. I think it's a loss for the companies, I think it's a loss for uh, our members, for the Danish workers, but I'm also concerned about the British workers, I must say. I'm concerned because uh, there are a possibility for, for uh, our members to lose their jobs, a, a small Maybe two small examples are that in our fishing, fishing industry, we have about 40% of our members who are working in the seas. And if we can't uh, sail on the British waters, they are unemployed. This uh, people we are talking about is unskilled or skilled. They will have very difficult finding another job unless we can help in some way. In the farming industry, it's just uh, as bad. I think we have about 70,000 members who will be affected at this Brexit, a hard Brexit, even worse. So we have to help them uh, in some way. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we have um, tilbud offered, offered <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, to uh, to the government that they should uh, make a Brexit fund, a Brexit fund who will help these people that will be employed, uh, affected by Brexit to be trained, to receive other jobs, if mm. that is possible. Yeah. But I am concerned on the equality that uh, I can see in all this. So my question to the ambassador could be, we have an inner market. UK will not longer be a part of the inner market. <coughs> How will they secure that we continuous have equal rights for the British people and the other? workers in the UE, EU c community so we don't make a difference between good jobs and bad jobs and workers who have different uh, mm. opportunities. Okay, I know it's difficult to react briefly to all this, <laughs> Ambassador, but could I ask you to be brief in your reaction and then I'll... Give you can ask, to Thomas, you can ask. I, I can always <laughs> ask. Thank you very much. Hope, hope springs <laughs> eternal. <laughs> I did. You can cut me off and then uh, uh, you know, I, I won't answer at all. Um, okay, as briefly as I can. We don't know what, who the next Prime Minister is going to be and what the next Prime Minister is going to have as a policy. We just don't. Because what we're having at the moment is an election. I don't know, I'm not suggesting anything, but we don't know to what extent what they talk about in an election campaign will translate into, into policy. What I do know is that everybody in the body politic, more or less, Mr Farage might take a slightly different uh, attitude, and some members of the Conservative Party might take a different attitude, but the orthodoxy clearly is, and this is represented by the majority in the House of Commons, as far as one can glean it, is that it would be a bad thing to have no deal. Yeah. So the answer to Lasse's question is, we should expect 
to work hard to get a deal which enables that closest possible relationship with as least friction as possible. We have, in the context of the withdrawal agreement, Thomas, done things on citizens' rights. We have gone very far. We've done things mm. on money. We have this thing about the backstop. The backstop is indefinite. It's very rare, if not unique, in an international treaty to the have Northern something Ireland which is the Northern question. Ireland backstop. Um, it's very rare to have something which is treated as indefinite and which doesn't have some sort of sunset clause or some sort of get-out clause. Maybe we can have a look at that again. I know it's been tried, but the political realities, if nothing else, may have changed. So we'll see. That's the best answer I can give to Lassen. Thank you. To Tina on the question of workers. I can't promise any funds for you. That's for the <laughs> Danish government to do. But, look, the British people... On the 23rd of June 2016, Tom, stop looking at your watch. In the 20, on the 23rd of June 2016... <laughs> yeah, I call it, this is my Anna's forgasmus trick, they call it. Um, they voted for a number of things. It's very difficult to generalise, but they voted for control over their borders because they didn't want to have what they saw as too many uncontrolled migrants coming in. They voted for control over their money, i.e. not have their money going to um, uh, Brussels and to Bulgarian motorways. Sorry if there are any Bulgarians in the audience is the example that came to mind. And thirdly, they voted for control over their laws, i.e. that it should not be the European Court of Justice uh, in Luxembourg, which was a final arbiter, but our Parliament and our Supreme Court. What they did not vote for was economic suicide. And economic suicide is loss of jobs, loss of livelihood. In fact, on the contrary, if you look at it, the sort of people who voted for Brexit, as far as one can generalise, are precisely those sort of people, for, quite frankly, who run the greatest risk of a no-deal Brexit uh, outcome. So it is not that the United Kingdom voted for economic suicide. They voted for specific things, and that is a very, very great imperative for our political masters and indeed those who negotiate with them and alongside them, like me, to have a deal. And the aim, quite clearly, and I do make no apologies about repeating this, the aim is to have a deal. This is not about having no deal. Thank you. Uh, Yebe, I'm very sorry to keep you waiting, but no we worries. ran a little late and I have to give everybody the word. Sure. Uh, you're looking very holiday-makerly. <laughs> I'm in the sun spot here, so it's pretty it's warm, I have to say. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I want to ask you a very particular question, yeah. because you have experience in the European Parliament now, right. uh, and a very special situation now is that there are 73 <laughs> British MEPs on their way <laughs> to Strasbourg, uh, 29 of them, by the way, from the Brexit party. Mm. Uh, how This is a situation we have never seen before. Uh, right. So many parliamentarians uh, joining from a country that is about to leave. Mm. How do you see that affecting uh, the work going on in the European Parliament? Well, uh, as you know, first of all, there are a lot of uh, elected members that cannot take their seat because they're waiting for Brexit yeah, we to happen. One of them, one of them is <laughs> here. <laughs> one, one, yeah. so, uh, so I think that's a mm. pretty clear already now. So the consequences of, of, um, of the stalemate we have in the UK already have huge Im implications on European Union countries now, uh, as we see it in this election. Uh, but secondly, of course, there's a discussion. How do we deal with the uh, 73 British members of the European Parliament? Are they Should they be treated equally? And I say, yes, of course, they mm. are fully member with full rights and obligations until the day they eventually leave the parliament or leave the European Union. So, so therefore, we, um, we, we try to say, okay, listen, we, you are part of it. Uh, there's a specific issue about the Brexit party because they have only one, one issue on their political platform is to uh, get the UK to leave European Union. So, so the dilemma, to be quite frank with you, and I can be to, to today, is do we include them when we constitute the parliament into all of committee leading positions and so on, a party that has, you know, has no intention of taking up work in the European Parliament, or do we then constitute 
you know, the other political groups and members that are actually willing to do something about uh, uh, Europe. That's the, the dile dilemma we have right now. What should we do with the, with the mm. Brexit party and similar forces that are only there to, in a way, exp implode uh, EU from inside or mm. destroy any uh, any cooperation. So, but but my 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 uh, and also my group's position because I've been negotiating this week is clear. All British members are full members. They should be respected as full members until the day they eventually leave. Mm. Is there a question in that context that you'd like to put to Ambassador Schroeder? No, I just uh, Dominique is. Um, he, I mean, when he talked about the rule of law. Uh, as so important in the world we live today, multilateralism uh, and so on. I agree very much, and also about the value-based society. I also agree on that one. But I, I'm kind of saying it's a little bit for a small country like Denmark. We we are in a European Union where the rule of law applies to big countries and small countries, to big companies, small companies. Uh, we have uh, common, for example, uh, competition policy that is enforced very hard by uh, Margrethe Vestager and others in the Commission. And I think that's a good thing, you know? That, so, so therefore, I, I always sense when I discuss Brexit that on what Dominique said in the beginning, I, I, I really subscribe to. But on the other hand, I have a feeling that the British government, some of them at least, think they're a little bit superior in a way to, to others uh, when it comes to what kind of advantages they should have. And, and there, as a small country, I get a little bit concerned because it's the same tendency with Trump in the US. They also... I mean, he claims because U.S. is, uh, is, a, is a special country, we can, we, we can do something which doesn't respect the rule of law internationally, or with China today, which are undermining uh, World Trade Organization. So I'm not saying U.K. is going that direction, but I feel a little bit that they, they ask for a special treatment while the rest of us have the same kind of equal treatment. And, and mm. I sense that it's a little bit political problematic. And I would like to ask Dominique whether he understands this kind of uh, feeling of some of us and, and listen, I will be the last one. I, I really regret Brexit. I really want the British in. I think it's a big loss for everybody. As a Dane, I, 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 I will miss my British colleagues, all of them, even Michael Farage sometimes. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but, you know, so I'm just, I'm just but I have this feeling they are on a track which is very concerning to me. But if you can reassure me differently, uh, Dominique, then I will be happy, but I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> That seems to be a popular question, Ambassador. What's your answer? I mean, I can't. You want special treatment? Yes, of course we do. I was thinking about Yep's yeah, question because, I mean, essentially, it's quite hard to say to a British ambassador, "Does the United Kingdom consider itself superior?" Because the answer is, of course we do. But, um, <laughs> uh, um, but I, I, I suspect that's probably not the most helpful and diplomatic of answers. Yeah. Um, Frank, it's fine. Uh, actually, your question it's was... It's a good thing you're not a diplomat. No, this is true, this is true. Um, I think, uh, Yeppe, your question was a slightly different one, which was, do I understand what it is that you've expressed in terms of, of that uh, concern? I think it is a legitimate question to ask, does the United Kingdom understand, do the authorities of the United Kingdom understand the effects of what it is that has happened on the rest of the European Union. And as you have said, yeah, for small countries, which are just different countries, they're not worse, they're, not, they're smaller, but they're not worse, they're not disadvantaged or whatever. Um, and I think the answer is that that is something that we always need to bear in mind. And I think that is um, the uh, correct, polite, diplomatic, morally uh, sensible thing to do. I think we do understand more than uh, people think. But I will... Thomas, you're going to get cross with me again. <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. 
I think that one of the difficulties that has been shown up, and it's not quite the same point as Yeppes, but it's relevant, is this. In the United Kingdom, when we think about Brexit, when we negotiate the politics of Brexit, it's really quite a personal human thing. It becomes emotional, it becomes we want to leave, it becomes why do they not understand, it becomes this is what we want. And that's how maybe we have gone into the negotiations. And the problem with that maybe, I'm not saying for definite, is that when the European Union interacts, when it negotiates, whether it be the institution of the Parliament or the Commission or the Council, it sees these issues much more as a process issue. It sees it as a process to be worked through, whether it be the integrity of the single market and the four freedoms. And so that, for example, if we come in and we start talking about automotive sector and fisheries, for example, the institutions of the EU, perfectly legitimately and reasonably, don't necessarily see automotive sector as something which can be carved out or um, uh, fisheries which can be carved out because it's emotionally necessary. They see Germany and they see Denmark and how that all fits together and how it is that the interaction within the European Union in process terms, a legal base terms. I mean, it is a cliche, but it's true. You go into a meeting with the European Commission, you need at, four, at least 14 lawyers alongside you because the European Commission will have at least 12. And I think that in certain respect, when it comes to mutual understanding and misunderstanding, it's not quite the point, Jeppe, that you're making, but I think that understanding of each other's background position and what it is that the political and human realities alongside the legal and economic realities are, understanding that on both parts will be what gets us through all this. Okay. Before I round this uh, part of, of our debate off in one minute, I feel like asking you something. How many people here, and you can raise your hand if you agree with this, think that there is still a possibility that Britain might not leave the European Union at all? You're so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, Mr. Ambassador. What do you think? I think as things stand at the moment, um, there are political processes which are underway in the United Kingdom which will lead to a desire and an engagement with the EU to leave with a deal. Potentially, there will be a lot of high-stakes discussions around the possibility of leaving with no deal. And I've talked about why that is undesirable. But I don't think that the circumstances in which we find ourselves at the moment, and for the foreseeable future, lead to the United Kingdom not leaving the European Union. Thank you very much. Skal vi give dem alle sammen en hånd? Tusind tak til jer. Ja, yeah, you're so wrong, sagde den britiske ambassadør, der hænderne røg i vejret på Altingens Hotel i Allinge under folkemødet. Mån ikke, vi kommer til at holde øje med, hvornår det hele så engang sker. Tusind tak, fordi du lyttede med til den her udsendelse. Det er den sidste, vi har planlagt i den her sæson, så nu går vi på sommerferie. Og så vender vi tilbage en gang, når EU-maskineriet går i gang igen i slutningen af august. Hvis du mangler mere politik at lytte til, så har vi lavet en sommerserie om dansk politik i vores søsterpodcast, Altinget Azure. Her ser vi lidt på tilstanden og fremtiden for dansk liberalisme, socialdemokratisme og populisme osv. Og, og dem kan du lytte til, indtil parlamentet vender tilbage. Mit navn er Henrik Axel Bugter, og jeg er podcastredaktør her på 
på altinget. Jeg producerer også den her podcast, og jeg vil bare sige tusind tak for den opbakning, som vi mærker fra alle jer derude til parlamentet. Det er vi enormt glade for, og hvis I nu kender flere, der også er glade for Europa og EU, så gør dem endelig opmærksomme på den her podcast. Når batterierne er ladt helt op igen, så lyttes vi ved. Ha' nu en rigtig dejlig sommer. Parlamentet er sponsoreret af 3F, fordi Danmark fortjener færre journalistik om EU. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.